Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Talking about the subject of prophecy, Bible prophecy, kind of setting the table still for a series on future things as God describes it in His Word. And He is the one, of course, that has the more sure word of prophecy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, we'll get there in just a few minutes. Start with this verse from Numbers as kind of setting the table for our time in the Word tonight. Numbers 23, a verse you're very familiar with, verse 19. Again tonight, talking about really, is God good for His Word? In fact, I've heard that before. Uh, are you, uh, is your is your word any good? Well, this verse will answer that question. Numbers chapter 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? And hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Father, we pray that you would give us a greater uh, attention to the word of God as the days go on and times get gloriously dark. I pray that we would seek truth about the future not from our feeling or from the horoscope or from maybe a neighbor next door. Uh, there's a lot of panic in the world today, but Lord, help us to go straight to the Word of God and uh, appreciate the truths that settle our hearts and comfort us in the time of, really, a time of trouble the world's having. Troublesome times are here, and so Lord, I pray that you would give us attention to the more sure word of prophecy. We pray these things tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've noticed, I'm sure you have too, that there's many folks that are glued to the TV, worried about what's happening around the world, especially in the, in the land of the Ukraine. But I, I've been settled in my heart and my spirit by the fact that God is the one who has everything in His control. God is the only one. Let's start with that premise tonight. If you scratch a note or two tonight, it would be simply this. God alone has the capacity to predict the future. God alone. Man cannot do it. Man has no capacity to do that. Now, I guess if you're a basketball fan, you probably already know that. You keep the, you keep the brackets or whatever they do there to find out who's going to be the winner. You've already predicted who might be the winner, and you thought you had it all figured out, and all you have to do is after maybe one or two rounds realize how little man knows about predicting the future. We don't know, do we? Even when it comes to a crazy thing like ball games. We are not that reliable, but God is. God, one of His names, of course, He's infallible. He's invincible. He never fails. He's 100% trustworthy. 100%. No one else can claim that. Only God can. And so we have to understand, as we look at the series, or the, really the topic of Bible prophecy, we started by looking kind of at a panoramic view of, uh, of what God is going to do, beginning at the rapture of the church all the way to the millennial times. We kind of gave a survey. Uh, it's good when you study prophecy sometimes to get a, get a kind of bird's eye view. Somebody says, first of all, we could scripturally move up to uh, maybe the top of the windmill and look down on the farm. And then maybe if we really wanted to see the farm well, we'd get a hot air balloon ride over the farm. And then if you really wanted to see the state well, you get in a plane, a small plane perhaps, and fly over the farm and over the whole state. But then if you wanted to see the world, you want to get into one of these uh, spaceships and go up with the astronauts and get a, a good view of the whole world. 
But there's no better view, my friend, tonight when we look at prophecy than getting into God's house and see what he sees. God lives outside of time. He's not bound by time. So the past is just as clear to him as the future. God is not bound by time. He knows the future events just as well as he knows the past. Aren't you glad you're a Christian tonight? You know God, that he's got it under control. Many claim to know things. But they are at best uh, speculators, wizards, kooks, limited perspective. We just don't see very well. I'm sure you heard about that blonde-haired gal that lived in South Carolina. I'm not picking on folks from South Carolina tonight, but somebody asked her on a, a, a full moon, well, lit night, full moon, and they asked this poor little girl, they said, now, what do you think is closer do you think the moon is closer or Florida? And she said, duh, the moon. You can't see Florida from here. <laughs> Our perspective, you're supposed to laugh right there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Our perspective is limited by our own limited knowledge. We don't know much, do we? Certainly don't know as much as God does. And sometimes we, it always humors me. <laughs> When, and we never worried about hurricanes in Kansas, but it always humors me. I shouldn't be. I guess it's a serious thing. But when these big storms move up from the Gulf, uh, I suppose during the summer, late, early in the fall, uh, this is kind of new to me since we've moved to Georgia, how they will begin to forecast where the thing will go. Now, remember what God said uh, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 8. He said, the wind bloweth where it listeth. What does that mean? The wind blows wherever it wants to, and no one can really tell. But yet we always look with great, uh, with great interest on the newscast. Meteorologists, they, they tell us, uh, they, they, uh, what, what, what kind of humors me is this, the spaghetti models that come out, right? When the hurricanes start moving up north, and you'll see, well, the European model says it's going to land over here in Corpus Christi, Texas. And the African model says it's going to land over here in Destin. And the, and the, American, or the American model says it's going to go right up to New Orleans. And the Russian model says it's going to go, uh, well, they're blaming it on NATO. Everything's NATO's problem. So there's all kinds of different things. That, just all kind, you have no idea, really. And all we can do as humans is base our decisions. Now, we have some ability to have an impact on the future by what we do today. The Bible's clear about that. But we can't control the future. We, we certainly are no good at controlling the weather. And so it is we come to the things of future events. We've got to study the Bible because He alone, man is incapable of knowing the future, but God knows the future. And we're thankful that we have a book, as I've mentioned before in the series, that is already, when it was written, one quarter of this Bible, your precious Bible, one quarter of it is predictive of when it was written. I mean, you take one-fourth of your Bible. Can you imagine that? What other author, what other author can do that, can tell you without fallacy, without error, what tomorrow will hold? And on every, every opportunity, we see that prophecy is listed in the Bible it always has come true exactly as God has said it would. Now, that ought to give us great confidence. So number one, understand humans, unless directed by the revelation of God in Scripture, have no capacity to predict the future. But glory to God, He can and He does. Now, why do you reckon it is that God 
gives us that much prophecy in the Bible. How's come it is that God would give us that much predictive writ in the Bible? What is He trying to do? What is He trying to tell us? Well, I think the, it, the answer is He's trying to prepare us. So uh, when you see prophetic truth in Scripture, it's not just predictive Scripture, it is also protective, right? So that's the second thing we need to understand. Not only is God the only one that can really uh, speak with any authority to the future, he's written, he's written these things so that we might be protected uh, from future calamities. I mean, think about this. Because you're attached a little bit to the Scriptures tonight, because you know you're a part of the church, and you've been aware, perhaps through your personal Bible study, of some things coming, you can be ready for what will come. Uh, one man said, I don't mind an occasional sermon about prophecy, but pastor, please don't, please don't overwhelm us with these things. Well, the truth is, if you don't love predictive scripture or prophetic scripture, there's a lot of the Bible that you're going to have to opt out of, right? Can you think of some of the, some of the books of the Bible that were really written for, at least largely, for prophetic purposes? Can you think of some? Daniel's one. Ezekiel, the book of Revelation, there's a lot of books you're going to have to throw out if you don't enjoy prophecy, right? Much of Second uh, Peter, lots of uh, First and Second Thessalonians. So brethren, we got to understand that we have a lot to appreciate and God was clear and He's given it to us for a reason and the reason is that we might be prepared. Our Bibles are unique in all of written literature. It tells us what is coming, and how we are to prepare for it. God breathed out these words, and they're 100% accurate. Recording, he's good not only recording history, and we know that he's good. Uh, there's a lot of great historians, and God is a great historian. Again, lives outside of time, but he knows exactly what has happened. Do you remember his, um, his exchange with the woman at the well? John chapter 4, he is talking to her, small talking at the well. He's leading up to an evangelistic conversation with her, but uh, he, told, he tells her, why don't you go call your husband? <laughs> and what does she say? Uh, well, I don't have a husband. And he said to her, you're right. I know exactly your history. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now isn't your husband. And what did, what did that make? He's a great historian. So what did that make her do? She ran home. And she told all her friends, come meet a man that knows everything I've ever done. That's God. But God also knows everything that will happen. It's great to hold hands with God because it's a safe place to be. God knows it all. Our Bibles, again, are so unique in all of, all of literature. The Bible is unique in that it speaks accurately uh, to prophecy. It is preparatory for our hearts to keep us in a state of readiness. Sometimes we get mystified about, well, what's going to happen? We run off in rabbit trails. What's going to happen to America? I don't see America in the Bible. May I just say America probably will be in one of two um, uh, conditions, eventualities, uh, although we don't see our names in the Bible in terms of America or Americans. One of two things probably will happen. Either she will be de devastated by war or decimated by the rapture. 
America claims to be a Christian nation. I don't know. No, no one knows except God how many people in our country truly are believers. But let's assume, let's just pick a number. Let's say one in five, and I know that's probably a, a number that's much too large, but think about that. Let's say one in five Americans truly know the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, don't quote me as that being the number. I don't know. God does. But imagine if God would come in the next few years, could be tonight, right? The rapture is imminent, could come at any time. If one-fifth of our population base was suddenly removed, all the godly folks taken out of the equation, how quickly would our country kind of devolve into a liberal cesspool where the leaders, ungodly leaders, would take this country immediately in a direction of complete failure. Well, there's an option, right? It could be we're not in Scripture because it doesn't take long for us to turn our backs on God once the rapture occurs. Well, we're not to panic because we have a book that tells us in Christ we can find comfort. We don't have to panic. God's got this under His control. Here's what Herman Hoyt writes a great observation about America and Americans in prophecy. He said, since the promise of Christ's coming for the church could occur at any moment, surely the events of this present hour in relation to the United States ought to give new stimulus to watch eagerly for His coming. In these days of crisis, our trust cannot be in a nation, a president, or a military that will soon disappear, but in a God who will soon appear and all His works are happening exactly after the counsel of His will. So God, first of all, alone has the capacity to predict the future. And the point of prophecy is not predictive, but it's protective. I think it's important to understand tonight that if you're here and you're kind of trying to live outside the radar, God's radar, you can't. God gave us a book to tell us there's a judgment coming. At the last day, you will stand before Him, either as a believer to receive a reward or as an unbeliever to hear, you're to be forever cast out into a place the Bible calls hell. And the Bible was written so that you will be ready for that day. And I wonder, tonight are you? Are you preparing for that moment when you alone will stand before God? Second Peter 3.11 tells us this, Seeing then that the heavens and earth shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation, that's conduct, and godliness. So what are, we, what are we saying? What is God saying? In fact, even Matthew 24, we see that. The, the Lord says, after explaining the events that precede the second coming of His return to the earth, He says, you ought, to, you ought to prepare your heart. What manner of people, knowing these things, knowing what's coming, we as Christians have the best look at what's going to happen. Knowing these things, how prepared ought we to be? Staying away from sin and doing the calling of the Father. So number one, God alone predicts with complete infallibility. His predictions are protective. Thirdly, His predictions are validated three ways by truthful men, a truthful message, and truthful outcome. Truthful men, truthful messages, 
and truthful outcomes. We are now ready to look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is Moses' really part of Moses' farewell address to the people. And he is saying, I want you to be careful to choose prophets that are a lot like me. (laughs) He himself was a type of Christ. uh, And uh, he says, "I I want you to avoid, when you come into the new country, promised land, avoid speculative, demonic ways to figure out the future. Avoid that. Look for men who are truthful messengers. They have a truthful message and whose outcomes are always what they said or predicted. Let's look at these verses together in Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning verse 9. We'll read to the end of the chapter. Very instructive. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations around you. There shall not be found any among you that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of the times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. They're looking for information about the future in the wrong places. I alone have the power to predict Reveal the future. Thou shalt be perfect, mature, godly with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearken unto observations of times and diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. Now verse 15, there's some prophecy involved there and an analogy. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, capital P, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. Of course, predicting, of course, the coming of the Messiah. But Moses said he will come and be like me. Of course, I am like him, but he will uh, speak true words. Verse 16, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Mount Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, "Let let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. If I re- could recall, the people are at the base of the mountain saying, we can't handle these manifestations of God himself. So give us someone who's an intermediary who will mediate these words. And so Moses filled those shoes. And the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my, here's, here's the mark of a true prophet, a truth teller. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Again, we're talking about the topic of prophecy, and what does it makes a true prophet? A true mouthpiece for God. It shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak... Or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. That's the death sentence for speaking untruth. I wonder how many of our pulpits in America, I wonder how many of the pulpits, those that speak on television, would uh, vanish from being because of verse 20. And if thou shalt say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? How do we tell truth from untruth when it comes to uh, spiritual things or future things. And verse 22 is the really the litmus test. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, if it doesn't happen or come to pass, 
That is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. He's of no account. He is not one of my prophets. So it's really the farewell message again that Moses is preaching. He's a picture of Christ himself, and he's basically saying you are not to follow after those who are all about getting their messages from the horoscope or from their feeling or from prophets around that get all their information from the demons. You are to go to truthful men who have been ordained by God to speak truth. And the reason, you, how you are to tell is, that, is, is when they speak the truth or that they profess to be truth, if the thing, the outcome doesn't happen, then you know that that man is not from God. So he says uh, men will try to make all kinds of predictions and prophecies, but the truth is you are to follow those who are like unto me, verse 15, and God's words shall be in their mouths. They will speak words that I command them. A prophet was then duty-bound not to speak his own thoughts, and there's all kinds of books out there about prophecies that really aren't from God. Uh, and he was, a, he was a great example of this to his own people, Moses was. Now, uh, in Numbers, that verse we started with tonight, Numbers uh, chapter 23, I believe it is, there's this, this wonderful verse about God saying, I will, I will only speak, the th- God's, God's speaking in Numbers 23 about that the prophet should be always known by his words, the words should always be truthful, they should always come true. God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change or repent. He says, I have it spoken, and I'm going to make it good. Do you know that you can always trust God's word to come true when we speak about prophecy? Do you know that we don't ever have to worry? Uh, once we clearly understand God's word, these things will happen just like. Isn't that exciting? We don't have to guess about it. God's made it clear to us these things real, will happen. Well, uh, that verse in Numbers, uh, in fact, chapters 22 through 24 are about uh, a prophet that was, that was living in the area of Moab, Balaam. Remember the story of Balaam, the talking donkey? Well, Balak, the king of Moab, wanted Balaam to curse Israel. And he uh, conscripted him to come and curse Israel. It's a fascinating story. So this prophet, who truly spoke the words from God, said, well, I can't come. He says, yes, I want you to come. So he came. He says, now I want you to speak a curse against Israel. And three times, three different places, Balaam said to Balak, listen, I, even if you paid me with silver and gold, you're, if you emptied the treasuries of your kingdom, he said, I cannot but speak the things that God has told me. And so uh, we are to anchor our hearts on prophecies that God speaks. Numbers 23, verse 12 uh, must not I take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? On they go to Pisgah, there again, he says, I, uh, the famous words, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change or repent. God has spoken, and shall he not make it good? What a blessing to think as we kind of embark on the study of prophecy That is a comforting thing. God has spoken. Shall he not make it good? What a blessing to know that. Uh, Well, we're not to make stuff up at the expense of his own life. 
God's word was held dear to Balaam's heart, and he would tell that king, if you gave me a house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord, Numbers 24, 13. All that the Lord's commanded, I must do, and I must say, I cannot reverse it, Numbers 23 and verse 20. Prophecy is validated by faithful men sent from God who speak a faithful message and enjoy seeing God with His faithful outcome. So that's really what we need to look for in terms of prophetic utterances that are from God Himself. They were validated on those three accounts. So Deuteronomy 18, verses 21 and 22, really set the, set the standard. If a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord and the thing follow not, he is not truly a prophet of God. That measure, by that measure, a man by the name of Edgar Wisnant is disqualified as a prophet of God. He wrote the book, some of you are too young to remember this, 88 Reasons the Lord Will Come Back in 1988. I lived during 1988, and I saw the book. And we had people come to our church, a young man came to the church off the street, really quaking in fear. The year was 1988, he read the book, he came into my pastor, my, pa- my pastor was my father at the time, uh, my dad's office, and he says, I'm scared to death, I read this book, I know God's coming back in 1988, I want to get my heart right. And so dad looked at the young man and prayed with him, he says, it's important to get your heart right, but we don't know the day nor the hour when the Lord's coming back. A young man, I just want you to know that. So I don't know. Uh, certainly, this, this author, Edgar Wisenant, is not truly a prophet of God. It's no wonder that the very next year, 1989, a new book came out. Uh, why God's coming back this year and why I blew it last year. And so uh, it's amazing, isn't it? When we begin to postulate about exact dates and hours, we're not to do that at all. There was another book called 1994, Harold Camping should be disqualified as well as a prophet of God for his book entitled 1994. He scared a lot of folks to sell everything they had and move up to the tops of the mountains and lift their arms up to the sky and look for the Lord to come back. It didn't happen. Be careful about that. A prophet is known by the outcomes. And uh, many make stuff up, and it's shameful. We need to measure everything, dear friends, by the Word of God. Even the stuff you hear on, especially the stuff you hear on television. Uh, Many years ago, Oral Roberts told his listeners that unless they coughed up, what was it, $8 million, that the Lord was going to strike him dead in three months. $8 million. And I guess he climbed up into a tower there at Oral Roberts University and he started counting money as it began to come in. And in three months, $9 million came in. So it worked. But that was a shameful manipulation of people. God never told him that. He used that to raise funds. We've got to be careful to evaluate true prophets based on the Word of God, not some harebrained scheme to scare people or manipulate folks. Only what God speaks to me will I speak. Uh, And only those things that truly come to pass validate the true man of God. Kenneth Copeland is another uh, scam artist, one of the richest religious entrepreneurs, I will call him not a preacher, in the world today. He should be shut down too. Um, 
And you folks can just jump in there anywhere and say amen if you want to, but he should. He's a charismatic preacher, and uh, about two years ago, he got on television and literally cursed COVID-19. I don't know if you've seen a clip of that on YouTube or whatever. It's really embarrassing and shameful, but he gets up in front of his church and waves his hands and gets all red in the face, and he curses uh, COVID-19 and tells it to be gone. That was two years ago. (laughs) Uh, Is that a true prophet? Well, if it was, we'd all be free of COVID-19, but it isn't, and it wasn't. And yet, isn't it amazing, the followers that that man still has and those folks that still uh, follow his messages on television. So we've got to be careful that we measure true prophet of God by the words that he says. Are they God-directed? Are they authenticated by Scripture? And do they have the stamp of approval being that the outcomes indeed uh, follow what the prophet has said? And so we are studying prophecy the next few weeks, and I want you to know we can trust the book, the man who spoke from it for God. Biblical authors spoke only what has been spoken by God, and God promises to make His words good. Just one example before we wrap up tonight. It, was, uh, it just has to do with really the, um, the day that Christ died. Those who study biblical prophecy tell us that on the day Christ died, 33 separate prophecies came to be fulfilled in one single day. 33 prophecies uh, about the death of Jesus Christ. Things such as His betrayal, Psalm 41, His forsaking, Zechariah 11, betrayal money, Zechariah 11, the scourging, Isaiah 50, what uh, sort of garments, the parting of His garments, Psalm 22, the method of His death, Psalm 22, years, did you know this? Years before crucifixion, it was already prophesied. Of course, the method of His death, His thirst on the cross, Psalm 69, the mockery, His bones not being broken, just a few of the 33 separate prophecies that came true on one single day. You know, there's no book like this book. There's no God like our God. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He knows everything perfectly. I'm not much of a mathematician, but I find, I find math fascinating. <laughs> I never got very good grades in math, but I was reading about a man who did some study on the laws of probability. Peter Stoner was his name. Uh, I don't know that he had nothing better to do. I don't know if this was the day before the day of computers or not, but he, uh, he applied the law of compound probabilities to just the predictions in the Bible, the Old Testament, concerning 10 biblical cities. Let me read the names of these cities for you. Samaria, Gaza, Ascalon, Jericho, Zion, the enlargement of Jerusalem, Palestine, Moab, Amnon, Edom, and Babylon. Well, he figured out, and I don't know how he did this, and I'm not going to check his math, but he figured out that the likelihood, probability, that the chances of all the predictions concerning these 10 cities alone coming true as written was one chance in 576 multiplied by 10, followed by 59 zeros. I don't think you even say that number. (laughs) There's a name for it. Well, in Stoner's words, if you made 5.76 times 10 to the 59th silver dollar into silver dollars, 
each one of those, silver dollar, and, melt, and then melted them down, you would have 10 to the 28th um, solid silver dollar uh, melted down balls of silver, the size of the sun. He says, more mass uh, in those orbs or those globes than all the stars known in all the galaxies in the universe put together. Then he suggested that if from that pile of silver dollars from which all these silver globes were made, you were to mark just one of the silver dollars in the stack, blindfold somebody, and ask them to find it in the first try. He said there is, that, is the, that is the probability that all the prophecies about just this, these ten cities could ever happen by chance. Listen, chance doesn't exist in the mind of God. He's carefully planned the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. And God knows exactly, and that's why we love the study of prophecy. Not only does it prepare us for our meeting with God, and you are facing a time where you will meet with God. He's told us that. I don't know what tomorrow holds. He holds tomorrow, but I know one thing. He's, he's told us all of us will have a meeting. It is, it is our accountability day with God. And he's told us about that, and you can take that to the bank. And so we're thankful. Not only does this provide to us a sense of, uh, protection, but purity while we're waiting for the return of our bridegroom as a church. And then it ought to give us a lot of comfort to know that no matter what happens in, in Russia and the surrounding countries, and I, you know, I, sometimes I, I tire of the banter we hear in church about that. Well, bless God, if, if Trump were our president now, we'd have never been in this mess. Or, you know, listen, we don't know uh, what would have happened if Trump was... We do know that God's in control, right? And we don't even know if, if president, uh, the president over there, Vladimir Putin, even knows what he's doing. We don't know that. But I know one thing. God knows what he's doing. And we have a Bible that tells us uh, that he's going to return for his church. And he could come at any moment. And we need to be prepared. What manner of people, persons, ought we to be in the light of his soon return for his church. And to that we can say glory, because we know, we know that whatever happens there, and by the way, I hope you know that you are not protected by a president or a military or by your American citizenship. You are protected by the hand of God. Someone says, what's, what's going to happen if, uh, if things go into World War III and we have a, a nuclear uh, transmission of missiles coming back and forth between here and Russia, and I'm so worried. And Atlanta heard this. Atlanta, the airport, I've heard that that's one of the targets of Russia. Friend, let me ask you a question. What happens if things really melt down over there and the red buttons are pushed on both sides and there's this big nuclear bomb that falls right on top of Atlanta? What do you suppose is going to happen? I was looking at you, preacher. Are you supposed to give me the answer? What happens is we get to celebrate Easter in heaven. Amen. <laughs> God's in control. He's got your soul in uh, his hands. No one can pluck you out. And I didn't mean to say that to scare you. I just meant to say that God, we don't know what the future holds. God holds the future. We're glad for that. And uh, I wanted to set the stage in terms of uh, just as we think about studying prophecy together, the great truth um, about how we ought to really be thankful for a book that tells us 
what's coming down the road for the believer. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.